Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage from a uh, text in the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm the Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is DJ Freemeyer. Uh, Daniel Freemeyer is a, a scholar, especially of the Hebrew Bible, and is the host of a podcast cousin called 700 Seconds in a Psalm. If you haven't checked that out yet, uh, make sure to type that in and, and check out that show. Uh, it's an excellent uh, show where he goes through um, a psalm. And it's just beautiful. He's here to talk about Psalm 72. He's been on the show before, but this will be our first time to have him for a psalm. And he is an excellent uh, exegete of Hebrew poetry uh, in general and of the psalms in particular. So I'm really glad to have him on looking at Psalm 72 for the second Sunday in the Christmas season. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may enjoy it and benefit from it as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with DJ. All right. So yeah, Psalm 72, amazing Psalms. One of the Psalms set aside for the Christmas week. Would you be willing to read the Psalm, DJ? I would be happy to read it. For Solomon, God, give your judgments for the ruler, your righteousness for the son of the ruler. He will regulate your people in righteousness and your poor in judgment. The mountains carry well-being for the people and the hills in righteousness. He will judge the poor of the people. He will bring salvation for the children of the needy. He will break the oppressor. They will fear as the sun, and to the faces of the moon for generation upon generations. He will descend as rain over the grass, as showers watering the earth. The righteous one will flourish in his days, and much well-being will be until the moon ceases, and he will govern from sea to sea, and from a river to the ends of the earth. To his faces the wild inhabitants will bend, and his enemies will lick dust. The rulers of Tarshish and the islands will return tribute. The rulers of Sheba and Seba, the oath taker and the drinker, will bring a gift. And all rulers will bow to him. All nations will serve him. Since he will deliver the needy from crying and the poor and the one without a helper for him. He will show pity over an afflicted one and a needy one. And the lives of the needy ones he will save. From oppression and violence, he will redeem their life, and he will value their blood in his eyes. So let one live 
Let him give for him from the gold of Sheba, the oath taker. And let it or him pray on his behalf continually. And let it or him bless him all the day. And let a handful of corn be in the earth. In the top of the mountains, he will shake loose like Lebanon his fruit. And they will blossom from the city like grass of the earth. And let his name be for ages, for the faces of the sun. Let his name be propagated and all the nations will bless themselves in him and they will advance him. Blessed is the Lord God, the God of Israel, doing wonders alone. And blessed is the name of God's glory for an age and his glory will fill all the earth. Amen and amen. Let it be so and let it be so. Ended are the prayers of David, a son of Jesse. Beautiful. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for these words, for this beautiful psalm, and for David and his son Solomon, and for the royal line and the poetry that comes from it and about it. And Father, we give you thanks for the way that royal line has been played out in a surprising way in your son, Jesus, whose coming we anticipate and recollect in this season. And we ask, Lord, that as we enter into this psalm in its ancient meaning and in its ways of being understood throughout time, We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, not just Daniel and I, but all those listening in, that we might be opened to receive what it is your Spirit is saying to the churches today. So we ask that you would be at work in our conversation today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks. I loved your rendition do you mind if I start with asking a couple questions about it just real quick? I don't um, mind at all. Yeah. Just two little little things I noticed, choices. Tell me a little bit about this phrase like the faces of the moon or the faces of the sun. A lot of contemporary translations try to interpret that idiom for us, but you left it in that sort of beautifully stark phrasing, the faces of the moon and the faces of the sun. Yeah, so Ancient Near Eastern texts describe how, how the moon appears in different lights. And we even see this uh, and can recognize it when we look up at the moon and we see different phases. We call them phases. They call them faces because you would see one side of the moon and it would look differently depending upon the uh, season that you were in or the portion of the month you were in. So each face would communicate something about the times. And the same with the sun. The sun itself would communicate about the different times because you might see the sun appearing to uh, glance rather brightly and sometimes rather dimly. And it could communicate about how the day was going to be. So you could interpret the signs And they were very adept at interpreting 
the seasons and the times to understand what was needed in their agricultural environment, as well as uh, the benefits and drawbacks of each of the each of the moments that they looked up in the into the sky and what it meant for them on the earth. That's really helpful. And so, like, I mean, I've got two different ones out here. I've got as long as the moon or as long as the sun. That's Robert Alter. ESV has till the moon be no more. Yeah. So it's going to mention until the moon ceases or ends. And that word comes back at the end of the psalm. Okay. Um, And earlier, it just mentions they will fear as the sun. And then later in the psalm, it mentions the sun lasting from generation to generation. So the interpretation is they're going to fear as long as the sun endures, which according to the biblical text, there is a time when the sun will end and the moon will end. They are here for a time, a rather long time. Yeah. So in the wider, in the wider context, both the historical cultural sense of these things, as well as the sentences and the paragraphs as a whole, paragraphs is the wrong word, stanzas, that sense of you know, until, until the moon fades away, until the sun is no more sort of fits, it sounds like, uh, but that faces stuff is cool. So thanks. Thanks for walking us through that. It's a nice image. And in poetry, sometimes the stark imagery of a quote unquote, more literal, you know, <laughs> uh, rendition sometimes makes it more poetic, even if it requires a little bit more thought, you know? I think it's beneficial when looking at poetry to catch some of the personifications. Yes. Right. That's good. Yeah. Personification. That's great. Cause as long as the moon kind of turns it into an abstraction about time, which ultimately might be the point, but it kind of undermines the poetic value of it. Yeah. And there are all sorts of songs that talk about looking up at the moon and seeing the moon look at us. And that's the imagery is that there is a reflection happening and the similarities between the ways we gaze at the moon and the moon gazes at us. Yeah. Great. Love it. If you believe, no, I'm sorry, the man on the moon. I don't know. I'm just thinking a silly, you know, when the moon, it's your eye, like a big pizza pie. Great <laughs> I examples. And I love the singing. Yeah, but I mean, it's These just songs, so they should lead us into singing. That's right, and in a song context, you don't, you just don't think twice about personification, excessive metaphor. No, that's great. That's helpful. Uh, another question. Sorry, I'm just peppering you with questions. I just was following your translation, getting a kick out of some of your choices. So I notice, and and this is just always a tricky thing, I guess, with Hebrew tenses. The vast majority of these verbs were just in a future tense. I know they switch to kind of the let, let it let it be starting in in 15 which was more of a sort of third person imperative kind of the, at least the way you were translating. And yes. I'm just curious about how like so again some of the translations I have turned a lot of these wills into may it be, you know, kind of more in the forms of like blessings or hopes or petitions depending on you know you know, may he come down like rain or may the just man flourish, but you just chose, and I'd love to hear your comment on, just tell us a little bit about the 
the kind of future tense in Hebrew and its range of possibilities. I, I could use some help, and I'm sure our, our listeners wouldn't mind some some insight from you on that. So the future tense carries with it a connotation of ongoing occurrence within within the future and this idea of acting in such a way to make it happen in the future so that it will continue to happen in the future. While may or should are choices, interpretive choices, the actual tense, as you were mentioning with poetry, the actual tense is future and it doesn't shift into a jussive or a uh, let it happen until 15. So I think it's more beneficial and more powerful to keep it in that future tense rather than trying to make it conditional as some do or make it a prayer. Because I think the prayer starts in verse one and then picks up again in verse 15 through 19. I see. So the big benefit of why it's it's not that you're saying there's maybe not a strict you know, it's a plausible interpretation, it sounds like. And yet, in this case, you kind of miss the structure of the psalm if you if you put it as a may, a adjustive, right? You called it yeah, uh, too soon. You, yeah. you miss the shift. Uh, the shift that happens in verse 15 jumps out at you when, yes. if all of them are just simple indicatives, this will, this will, this will, this will happen. And then, you know, long may he live. All of a sudden, that stands out. As a, as a shift in verse 15. Right. Okay. That's so helpful. That's so helpful. So, so I am hearing you right though, that like, it's not that those interpretive choices are like dead wrong. Is that a possible, a possible meaning of the future tense? I think it's a choice based upon context. Gotcha. Okay. That isn't, that is helpful because you are seeing the conditionality of what is happening in the Psalm. For example, when it says, God, give your judgments for the ruler and your righteousness for the son of the ruler, it is, that is the request. And right. Okay. The interpretation is all the other things are effects. Yeah. So, so it's conditional upon God's effect. judgment. If God yeah. decides to not show his favor in this way, then these things won't happen. I see. Okay. So it's more the. It's not that it's dead wrong, but that it it maybe obscures the. Well, I think it really obscures the structure. That's for sure. (laughs) I think it misses both the structure and the power that if God does do this, Ah, okay, result. This will be the result. It will happen. That makes sense. In the prayer, I see. So then, it's the definitiveness of the future indicative tense, the will, this will happen, that will happen. I'm thinking like verse eight, you know, or nine, you know, like I'll do nine, you know, may the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. You know, that sounds like a, wouldn't that be cool? Right. Whereas the point is insofar as God renders his judgment on behalf of the King, it will be the case that desert tribes bow down. These will certainly happen. Got it. And I think there's a power there that it all depends. I hear that. I, d- I don't think they're missing the, it depends upon God giving this, but I think they're missing the certainty of if you give this, this will happen. Yeah, that's good. That's really helpful. Oh man. Thanks for going on a, a little grammar 
train with me there because that all, I mean, we're doing, we're doing Psalms all year this year. And so applying some of those as our listeners or maybe comparing translations, just to have some of those thoughts in mind as they're reading Psalms, like there's choices that they're making here and to recognize the, the, the pros and cons of choices like that. Yeah. And the benefit of reading a song in its original language. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, just, so this will be in a week or two. I just recorded it yesterday, but uh, (laughs) with Amy Peeler looking at Psalm 19 and it ends with, uh, you know, may, may the Lord bless his people with grant his people strength and may the Lord bless his people with peace. But in the original, it is just a will. It's just a it's just, it's, it sounds more like a promise as it were, you know? And again, I understand the choice to kind of translate it as more of a, like a, like a benediction, you know? So I think it works uh, in context, but um, that's just kind of a helpful reminder that you're always having to make these judgment calls. So I, I really like your picture of the future tense there. That was awesome. Hey, well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore this some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with DJ Freemeyer, and we're looking at Psalm chapter 72, the final psalm in the second book of the Psalter, hence this uh, little final word here at the end. Yeah, just to get it in our ears again, how about I read a, read a different version if that's okay. Um, this is Robert Alters. We don't have to compare with yours at ad nauseum. I just... <laughs> Just to kind of hear another one, you know? Um, So Psalm 72, for Solomon, God grant your judgments to the king, your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people righteously and your lowly ones in justice. May the mountains bear peace to the people and the hills righteousness May he bring justice to the lowly of the people. May he rescue the sons of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you as long as the sun and as long as the moon, generations untold. May he come down like rain on the new mown grass, like showers that moisten the earth. May the just man flourish in his days and abundant peace till the moon is no more. And may he hold sway from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Before him may the desert folk kneel, and his enemies lick the dust. May kings of Tarshish and the islands bring tribute. May kings of Sheba and Seba offer vassal gifts. And may all kings bow to him, all nations serve him. For he saves the needy man pleading, and the lowly who has none to help him. He pities the poor and the needy, and the lives of the needy he rescues. From scheming and outrage redeems them, and their blood is dear in his sight. Long may he live, and the gold of Sheba be given to him. May he be prayed for always, all day long be blessed. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the mountaintops. May his fruit rustle like Lebanon, and may they sprout from the town like grass of the land. May his name be forever. As long as the sun, may his name bear seed. And may all the nations be blessed through him. 
and call him happy. Blessed is the Lord God, Israel's God, performing wonders alone. And blessed is his glory forever. And may his glory fill all the earth. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. Yeah, so, boy, I, I, I just I can't help it but want to ask you, is this the only psalm dedicated to Solomon in the Psalter, or am I forgetting one? I think Solomon has a few. I know that there are a few where Solomon is mentioned, but I think what is really powerful is the location of this psalm at the end of the second book, as you mentioned, because this second book, starting in Psalm 42, actually goes through a number of different prayers on behalf of and composed by David, who is seeking the Lord and who is seeking for the Lord to act. And then by the time the corpus of Psalms actually reflects David's life. So by the time you get here, there is this uh, sense in which it reflects the commissioning of his son Solomon and the hope that God will, will work in and through Solomon to bring the well-being to the people, which I find to be really powerful. As we were talking there is another psalm in book five, I think, maybe Psalm 127 that mentions Solomon as well. So this isn't the only one, but I think it's powerful here at the end. And it even says the prayers of David are ended in this uh, section of the psalm. There are other psalms later that are going to be connected with David. But this section actually ends the prayers with a prayer, not for him, but for the son and the people who will benefit from the righteousness that God gives to that son. Oh, that's, that's so great. You're right. And so, yeah, I just glanced over at that and that one, of course, that one has a great Solomon connection, the 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it in labor, labor in vain. Right. So that has a nice right. temple connotation and also it's part of the songs of ascent on the way to the temple. So the Solomon connection fits there, but here, it's, Here it's for the rescue of those who are in need, right? Yeah. And that main emphasis of the whole book, too, is those who are in need can cry out to God. Well, here, Solomon becomes an agent with God, or the ruler becomes an agent with God, working in tandem to help those who are needy and who are poor. And you're so right to see that having Solomon be the center piece of the last Psalm in book two, the Psalms of David ended is a nice way. It's not just like, Oh, it brings that to a close. Cause he had that, that was the next King, but it also sort of, it, it reinforces and extends this sense that, okay, everything, everything that has been set up to this point in the Psalter, even though it would, you know, is associated with David, it's not stuck there in the past. It continues on. Is that, Makes yeah, sense. And I think it captures the generation to generations because you get David who's praying for Solomon and the children of Solomon, as well as it mentioning David being a son of Jesse, who presumably right. prayed for by his father and father. So there's a, a continuation of this hope 
that the children will receive what is needed from God for them to help the people in Israel and all the nations of the world. Yeah. So maybe I'm jumping the gun, but like when I hear you talk about that continuing of generations and then I think of, you know, the threat to that line in exile and after exile, I mean, it makes me want to say like this kind of, there's a tendency sometimes I think, for modern interpreters for us to like ask like is this a messianic psalm or not and and i kind of feel like i don't want to rush to that but i also don't want to think of that as like two categorically different things right the the continuing of this line and the way that that plays out over time and the dangers that israel faces like that messianic expectation that of some sort of eschatological figure that will even though it might not have been in the mind of the author, I think almost certainly wasn't push back if, if you disagree, but you can see how that, that that's a, that's a logical development of this kind of a prayer. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think that it's not wrong to see when looking at the stories of David or to see the name David and Solomon and Jesse and think, Oh, the lineage that leads to Jesus, like that's not wrong because the texts do communicate that. I think what might be missed in this psalm is that it never mentions anointing, so it's not connected with the anointed one, even though a ruler would be someone who would be presumably anointed by the Lord. This one is, is not necessarily focused on that anointing as much as it is focused on the righteousness and judgment And I think another thing that might be missed is how this can be a prayer that can be prayed for children, our children, and for our rulers at the same time. That this is an invitation for us to consider who are our rulers and what would happen if God gave our rulers righteousness and judgment. And then what about our children? What can we pray that God will give them so that they can help those who are poor and needy. Oh, that's really good. I mean, one of my, one of my big irritations. So I was like, I have, I have these like conflicting irritations. <laughs> so I'll just speak honestly. It peeves me when a sort of, well, I, I won't use the word messianic. I'll just say where a connection to Jesus is ruled out, you know, like ah, it has nothing to do with what's here, you know? And of course, that's not what you said. You made it say like, no, that, that is, that is where these things go. And yet the technical terminology of messianic language of, of anointing is absent as well as the seemingly, you know, the, the foreverness of the doesn't have to have this kind of eschatology vibe to it. So that's like my irritation in one direction is the ruling out. But then I have this other irritation that's like the opposite direction, which is when we like, run to see the Jesus in the text so fast that we miss all the other possibilities, both ancient and contemporary. Does that make sense? And yes. and that's what you were bringing up there is to say, what I heard implied in your comment, and I want to come back to it, especially when we think of how we might preach and, and pray and apply this Psalm to our lives, is that we don't have to, we don't have to run it through Jesus to see the applicability of it, you know, like that, that would be a mistake to think this text is only relevant to us insofar as it's fulfilled 
in the story of Jesus, right? That would be a great mistake. Just like I think it would also be a mistake to say, never connect it to Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think the psalm itself is connected with Jesus because, I mean, if David is someone who calls Lord, one who would also come from him, as is communicated in the Gospels and in other psalms, right, right. prayer is to Jesus, for Jesus to give it to Solomon, and then for Jesus to become one of the Ben Melech, one of the children of this line, these rulers. Wow. So it's a prayer. Oh man, you're blowing my mind. Okay. So this is a prayer to Jesus and a prayer for Jesus at the same time. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. (laughs) And that's what the the texts do so well is to say, you can pray to and for at the same time while you are praying to God on behalf of Jesus, who then is, if we are connected in the family, is a prayer for us as well. So for us, for our leaders, for our own children, all at once. So that's the similar. Yes, there we go. So an inclusive, an inclusive messianic interpretation. That's what that's that's the way I'm going to name my avoidance of those two opposite irritations, right? So not not a messianic reading that then is exclusive, where that's the only meaning now. You know, and all other meanings, both ancient and modern, are, are are stripped away. But rather, an inclusive one, which, of course, when you read, and I'm not kicking against more classical, ancient, and medieval, because whenever they whenever they go off on some messianic reading, they also go and do all the other things. Like they don't think you have to choose one. You know what I mean? They even talked about there being a fourfold sense of scripture that you would have all these different layers at once. You know. So, and I think that's something that we are recognizing more and more. And poetry, psalms like this one, kind of help with that because it's, ah. it's difficult to pinpoint a single a single connotation when you have a poem that opens up possibilities and that is an invitation towards imagination. Oh, that's so good. So, I'm speaking in generalities. Let, let's do one more detail, but I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about. But so that phrase that you said, invitation to imagination, take a phrase or a portion or the whole thing if you want, but I'd love to make sure I'm not missing any important details. What imaginings in your mind is this text inviting from you today? What are you, what are you kind of seeing, picturing, imagining? Yeah, I think I'm imagining with the psalm what it would look like for well-being to flow from mountaintops and from hills to flow down? What would it look like for those who are at the bottom, who are in these valley places and very vulnerable places, to see those who are higher when it comes to positions, allowing the well-being that they've been given to flow down to them? To those who are who are more vulnerable and who are in positions that would not receive that well-being first, I'm imagining what it would look like for a ruler to really live into that identity of someone who receives well-being, sure, but passes it on in power to those who need it. Wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> I love imagining a ruler like that. And I think it might be one of the reasons why Solomon receives the name he does, 
is the hope that he would be an agent of well-being to the people. Yeah, you said that has something to do with his name, you said? Well, yeah, his name means uh, well-being. Sometimes it's translated like... Oh, yeah, of course. Shalom's hiding right in there. Yeah. Yeah. Shalom, right? How did I miss Uh, that? (laughs) So... He, his name has well-being within it. And the hope is that he will live into that identity of allowing that well-being to flow to those who need it. Now, in the course of the narrative, we'll see that that isn't always the case in his life. But that is the identity he's invited to live into. And what if our leaders today took that seriously? I would love that to become a reality. Yeah, so beautiful. Judge the people righteously and the lowly ones in justice. And that the right there. will bring down, will roll down peace, well-being to the people and the hills righteousness may bring justice to the lowly of the people. He will rescue the sons of the needy and crush the oppressor. Yeah. Those phrases right there are heavily laden with, um, it's two words, um, mishpat and tzedakah, which are language that's frequently used in like prophetic texts like Isaiah. And I was going to say, this sounds like Isaiah. This sounds like, you know, famous lines in Isaiah. They're connected in a hendiasis where they're frequently paired together because you need both. Uh, you need righteousness in how your uh, how a leader is behaving, but you also need judgments or decisions that will benefit people under you. And both of them are needed in order for group or an organization or a nation to prosper is kind of the conviction that the prophets have. And this is a prayer, a psalm that responds to that conviction and says, give it, and then we'll see the well-being flow down. Nice. So which one, which one goes with, the, with <clears throat> giving just judgments? Is that Mishpat or Zedekah? Mishpat is judgments, justice. Um, It has to do with making sure that those who are facing opposition receive just and fair treatment and that those who have been deprived are restored. I see. So that's why that one goes in in that uh, second verse. why it's, you know, it's justice that you would give to the oppressed or the lowly ones. Okay. Yeah, man, that's great. Oh man, I'm learning so much. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, DJ Freemeyer and we're looking at Psalm 72. Psalm 72, a a text identified for the Sunday after Christmas. So there's that's the season that we're in, hence all this messianic talk I'm bringing up, both highlighting it, but also keeping it in a larger context. And let's let's explore some sermon starters, and let's think that really broadly. How would we pray this psalm, worship with this psalm, live it out? What do you think? Where would you want to go with a text like this? You already gave us some hints. Maybe we'd want to return to that. Uh, but maybe you had different ideas you wanted to introduce. But yeah, how do we really apply this text to our lives today? Yeah, I think that one great application is in the in the prayer. Um, 
So the first verse talks about this prayer that God would give because, uh, and in this emphasis, it is connecting with passages like what James mentions, where every good and perfect gift comes from above. So the assumption is we need what God gives and only God can give it. It even mentions later in the Psalm that God is doing this alone. So God is the one on whom it all depends. And later in the Psalm, it mentions blessed is the Lord God, the God of Israel. It's not necessarily praying to the leader, which is frequently what happens in societies is there's this idea that we need to petition the leader and get the leader to make all of these changes. And it all depends upon the leader, but that's not not what the Psalm is communicating. It depends upon God giving this to the leader. And so there is a shift in, in mindset where the one who will last forever, way past the moon and the sun, even way past any leader or dynasty, that is the one whose name needs to be exalted and who needs to be sought because that one alone the Lord God is the only one who can bring about the well-being that we need in our day and in the lives of our children. So there can be a communication of dependency on God to give and work wonders, as verse 18 mentions. There can also be a communication about the political environments in which we find ourselves whether that's nationally or locally, whether that's in a business or in interactions between communities, the text is laden with these groups doing unexpected things. So another way to approach the text from a preaching standpoint is to talk about the reversal of expectations within a particular political group. So in verse 10 and in verse, or actually from 9 through 11, you get rulers doing unexpected things um, when they see the well-being that's present in uh, the ruler over Israel, because God has given it, they'll do crazy things because they see how the well-being has come and want it too. So like returning tribute, like what Tarshish does, or joining together in a single gift, which would have been unthinkable for Sheba and Siva to do, them coming together to offer a gift, which in and of itself, the offering of the gift is out of character. And there can be this recognition that when God acts, Even the rulers whom you would not expect to act in a certain way can start matching what God is wanting so that they receive well-being and so that there's well-being for their people because they'll see how it happens. If you don't have a good example, you're not going to know how to bring about that well-being. But the Lord is a great example. And if there's a ruler, someone in leadership, who is doing it, who is actively engaging in the ways that the Lord wants to bring about righteousness and judgment, then others can see it and adopt it, even if they don't have the same faith. 
in God that that leader has. They want what that leader is able to produce. And so it can be a domino effect where all the nations receive blessing because one leader has has the courage to bring about well-being, even though it takes effort, and even though it takes a submission to the ways the Lord wants to bring it about, there can be a huge impact, which leads to another, in my mind, great sermon application, which is to say, if you are in need, those who are being oppressed and attacked do not frequently think that they're going to receive help from those in power because they haven't already. But there is this recognition that when we pray and God acts, God can change the hearts of leaders. God can shift them. If the leader is willing and if we are supporting, God can change even those who have been in leadership and not acting righteously, been in leadership and not displaying judgment. God can shift the heart of anyone to bring about exactly what the afflicted one needs. And so there is this redemption from violence and oppression. There is this value placed on those who have not been shown value and God can cause it to happen. It just takes one leader, one person in a position of power who is willing to let God be the one who influences that power that can have a huge impact. Well, that's beautiful. And that's a, that actually has a really nice tie in to the, to the Christmas season and to Jesus himself, both in the mystery of the incarnation of one who was equal with God and yet, you know, didn't cling to that for himself. Yeah. Um, but stepped down into lowliness with us, for us, for our sakes. And then also, I mean, maybe this is too cheesy, but I mean, in terms of the, just in terms of the Christian year, this is a Psalm that's suggested for the second Sunday after Christmas. So that would place it this year pretty close to Epiphany, the day for remembering the, the coming of the, the wise men, you know, from afar, you know, this, although they're not from necessarily from, you know, we don't really know much about where the Magi are from, but, you know, this talk of Tarshish and, and, and Sheba, these foreign places bringing tribute, you know, you can kind of see a little of a faint echo of this text in those stories, right? Of and you this, can see the tribute that they are exactly as exactly. a prayer that God would bless the leader that the Lord has appointed. And there is this recognition that that will impact and send ripples through all the the governance of the nations. Exactly. Yeah. And then I feel like so much hangs on this little word, the beginning of verse 12, four, just two little letters in Hebrew key. But that word four sort of links all of verse 12 and 12, 13, 14 back up to at least nine, 10, 11, if not more, this kind of, like you were saying, they're rendering him tribute, but what what we're invited to see in that is not simply, ooh, they're wanting to curry favor with him for their own ends, though they're sometimes motives are mixed, but insofar as there's a there's a faith expressed in that, 
it's because he's one who delivers the needy, right? It's because he's one who has pity on the, the weak and saves the lives of the needies and redeems people from oppression. It's because Christ, I'm thinking of Luke 4, you know, it's because he is the one who releases the captives and proclaims the good news, you know, because he's that kind of king is why these kings of the nations surprisingly and unexpectedly come and pay him tribute. Right. And the same reason that worshipers today come and pay tribute because he is the type of leader that we need. Someone who's willing to set aside power to help those who are poor, who are crying out, who have no helper. And he comes and shows pity and he comes and and saves. And that's what we not only need, but are inspired to become someone who does that. And that is a valuable gift, more valuable than gold. That's beautiful, man. Well, there's so much there. Uh, to apply, to pray, to preach. I loved, you already mentioned it earlier. I just wanted to reiterate it again, this notion of, to some extent, and it's poetic, so some of the language might fit better than others, And but you don't worry about that. It's poetry. Uh, that you could, you could pray this for your own children, you know, which is fun because it links with Solomon and, and, you know, the opening chapters of uh, the book of Proverbs also has this kind of from father to son kind of teaching. This could parallel really nicely with that as, Okay, that's that's what a father says to a son or a parent says to a child, the opening of Proverbs. And here's kind of some some things we say to God on behalf of as we pray for our own children, that they would be people who uh, give justice to those in need. I love it. It's great. And one um, one invitation that I might give is to consider not only what we are praying for our children and whether what we are praying for our children has an eternal impact, like what this psalm is requesting from God, and whether it has a social impact in helping those around us, but are we praying in our songs for our children? How many of us are singing our prayers for our children so that our children can hear us singing those songs on their behalf? Oh, that's really good. Because that's the ones they remember, man. The ones so, you sing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And if these are a corporate prayer that would be sung, you hear parents, fathers and mothers and, and grandparents and guardians who are praying this in their songs, as they're singing for their children who are with them. That sets a pattern that can be passed down from generation to generation. Well, that's beautiful. That's a little challenge to listeners I want to put out then is, hey, you know, maybe compose a tune and a song that, you know, inspired by this uses some of its language that we would be able to sing in our, you know, in in a style that would uh, to make sense to our ears. That's beautiful. Well, thanks so much. I love talking with you. I always learn so much and I know our listeners appreciate it a ton too. So thanks for the time you gave today. Well, blessed be the Lord who has uh, enabled us to hear this song, perhaps in a new way. Yeah. Amen to that. And thanks as always to all our listeners. Appreciate you so much. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks to our patron saints who support the show uh, financially. If you'd like to become a patron saint, uh, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. See some ways you can support the show there. 
And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.